In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. The similarities here between Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 um, were drawn by John to really highlight um, an important truth that we see in a few different places in scripture that really um, is best summarized, I think, in Colossians uh, chapter 1 verse 16, which says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And it's also um, echoed again in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which says, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So what these scriptures all repeatedly tell us is that Jesus was involved in the creation of the world, but not only the authorship of creation, but the intent and purpose of creation. And it is to glorify him. And so if we just look at the creation story without looking at Jesus, then we sort of miss the central point, the essential core of what creation is about. It's not only authored by Christ, but it's also for Christ and his glory. And that glory is not only in, in Christ as a person, but the glory of what he has done by achieving our salvation and our redemption. So in Romans chapter 8, I'm reading from the Amplified Version in verses 19 to 23. It explains um, what creation is yearning for since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. It says, For even the whole creation, all nature, waits eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration and futility, not willingly because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be freed from its bondage to decay and gain entrance into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been moaning together as in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only this, but we too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, a joyful indication of the blessings to come, even we groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the sign of our adoption as sons, the redemption and transformation of our body at the resurrection. So creation actually participates in the joy of salvation and in the joy of redemption through um, the breaking of the curse of sin and death over us as humans, but also over creation. I can't help but think of the beautiful 1991 Disney adaptation of Beauty and the Beast, where the curse is lifted off the beast, but then it's also lifted off all of the castle and all of the people in the castle. You know, Mrs. Potts bursts out from being a teapot to an actual um, fully restored servant of his household. And same with, you know, Cogsworth and Lumiere from Candle and a Clock. And, you know, all the gargoyles. I remember that beautiful um, sequence at the end when he transforms into a man, beast. Um, the gargoyles become angels again. The garden turns from, you know, thickets and thorns into flowers. It's the restoration of all of creation. But in this case, it's even deeper than that because Jesus is the one who authored the creation in addition to the one who saves it. So he comes back for us and that's what we're so grateful for. Um, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 23, um, all of creation is rallied into that worship and there's many places that it is in scripture. But, you know, in Isaiah 44, verse 23, it says, Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. The creation is participating in that party. And in Psalm 98, that famous psalm that calls us to sing a new song to the Lord and to, and to shout for joy to the Lord, um, because his salvation and his righteousness has been revealed to all the earth, to all the nations. It says in verses 7 and 8, Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. And I could go on and on. There's so many scriptures like that where, you know, the mountains, the seas, the trees all rejoice. All of creation rejoices. And it, it is something that must be rejoiced. It is something that must be celebrated, the redemption and salvation of us and also all of mankind. Um, as Jesus, our saviour, comes into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and you know people are spontaneously calling out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and lay their coats and lay their um, palm leaves on the road. The Pharisees are horrified at, you know, Jesus being called these things and, and, and really rebukes his, him to tell his disciples to stop them saying these things. And his response in Luke chapter 19 verse 40 in the NIV, NIV is, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Creation will call out that its creator, its saviour um, has created, saved and redeemed them. So it's so exciting to understand the creation story um, from this perspective of Christ the Creator, Christ its Redeemer, um, Christ its Saviour. And it's only by understanding his pivotal role and putting that central focus on him that we can fully appreciate this story. The most important thing I was ever told about understanding how to read the Bible 
was that the Bible is a complete picture of everything that we need to know about the person and the work of Jesus. And that's so important because in many ways, sometimes the Bible is dissected into a group of stories, into a group of biblical heroes, into a collection of rules, into a historical text, into a self-help book, because there's so many practical pieces of wisdom that are in this story. And of course, it is those things. Um, All scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking and training in righteousness. But to do those things only and not to look at Jesus throughout scripture is to essentially miss the point. The nexus between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the person of Jesus. Jesus is central to and the culmination of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is essentially the real point of all of scripture. And so I'm really excited about looking through all of scripture with Jesus as the central part of every story, of every piece of text, and trying to learn more about him through scripture itself. And that's what we're going to do here in this series. On the road to Emmaus, after Jesus has been crucified and in fact resurrected, Jesus himself walks up alongside some very downcast disciples. And there is a really fascinating line in Luke chapter 24 verse 27, in which he says, um, in which it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So essentially he takes from beginning to end all the scriptures that talk about Jesus. And that's a sermon you want to hear for sure. And that is something that I hope we can have a look through and learn more about Jesus in this particular series.